If you're ready to take your destiny into your own hands, you've come to the right place. This is The Bulletproof Entrepreneur, featuring interviews with the most exciting and amazing entrepreneur. Here's your host, Chi Odogu. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to the show today. This episode is brought to you by the Recession Proof Summit. If you want to learn how to transform your business in order to survive and thrive in the new economy, then this is the number one virtual summit you will attend in 2018. Featuring over 100 CEOs, entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and game changers, the Recession Proof Summit covers 10 learning tracks and is designed in order to help you succeed in every area of your business. For more details, visit www.odogwu.com. That's www.odogwu.com and sign up for the email list and you'll get a lot of information concerning what the Recession Proof Summit is all about and how it can help you succeed and thrive in the future. And without further ado, on with the show. Go. Hey, everyone. I have a great show today. I'm talking to Dr. Hans Finzel. Hans is a successful author, speaker, and a trusted authority in the field of leadership. He's trained leaders in over five continents, and for 20 years, he led an international nonprofit organization called World Venture. He helped the company expand to over 65 countries and built many leaders in his organization along the way. Today, he leads his new company, HD Leaders, and helps train and inspire leaders to become their best selves. He's written several books, and in particular, the bestseller in the eight book he's written is titled The Top 10 Mistakes Leaders Make, but his new book is also titled Top 10 Ways to Be a Great Leader. So I'm pleased to have Hans on the show today to talk to us a little bit about himself, his experience, and to provide some words of wisdom and advice for uh, those people that are starting their entrepreneurial journey. So Hans, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Chi. Great to be with you today. Great. So Hans, could you please tell us a little bit about yourself and your background? Yeah, sure. I'm... uh Grew up in Alabama in the United States, uh, went to college, <laughs> grad school, and uh, I grew up in a German family. You probably figure out what the name Hans. I'm pure German, so German is my first language. And uh, I always kind of had an interest in leadership. You know, people ask me, are leaders born or are they made? And I always say the answer to that is yes, <laughs> both. <laughs> People are um, born leaders, and they're also made leaders. And I think it's more important what you learn than what you're born with. But I was kind of born with leadership, a personality, and charisma, you might say. And, and when I was a boy, I remember in my neighborhood where I grew up, I was always sort of the leader of the group. And in high school, I had a rock and roll band, and I was <laughs> the leader of the band. So leadership has always come to me. And but uh, early in my uh, career, uh, and my career is mostly in training and education. And I, I was actually in leadership training, but I had a terrible boss that mm. made life miserable for me. And I always ask people, "Hey, have you ever worked for a terrible boss?" And you know, most people say yes. Yeah. <laughs> and so I, that's when I kind of became interested in. Um, studying more about leadership and I actually went back and got my doctorate in the field of leadership and then I um, became a CEO of this big international nonprofit 
and so I had the chance to actually practice what I'd been studying. <laughs> and I just I didn't want to be a miserable boss. I wanted to be a good boss. And and I'm not saying I'm a perfect boss. And yeah. my new book, Top Ten Ways to Be a Great Leader, I'm not like saying I am a great leader, but I've learned a lot through thirty years of being a leader and studying leadership and coaching leaders. So that's kinda today I, you know, coach leaders full time. That's what I love. I write about leadership and speak about it and love to talk about it. Great. Now you mentioned a lot of things, Hans, but I want to pick on one or two things here. So you had a bad boss in an old company you were working for and that led you to study leadership. And then from there you got a doctorate and then you started working for this nonprofit that you led for 20 years as the CEO. So what were some of the things that made you irritated and uncomfortable by that um, terrible boss? (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, he was uh he fell into what is what I call the founder's trap and people who start and I know a lot of you who are listening are uh maybe you have thinking about starting a company or you have started your own company so you're the founder and the founder has a very special position uh it's like a parent <laughs> with the children you know mm-hmm. nobody can parent the children better than you can uh, because you're the parent and you're the parent of the company you founded also and so the problem happens as the company becomes successful and grows and gets bigger and you start hiring staff that you you become a real control freak and you don't want to let go and you want to uh, make all the decisions and uh, all the ideas have to come from you because you started the company. Yeah. And, and I worked for that kind of a founder who was very smart and a great gifted visionary, but he was a total dictator, you mm. know, and all he wanted to do was control everything and he wouldn't be open to our suggestions or input. And that was very frustrating. So, you know, he became what I call in my book, the top 10 mistakes leaders make, which was born out of that experience. The, the, the number one mistake leaders make is what I call the top down attitude. Mm. You know, I'm, I'm on the top and I control everything. So that, that's what created that situation. Mm, that's very interesting. So you learned that, I mean, you turned basically a lemon into lemonade cause that inspired you to learn more about leadership and then also inspired you to write a book about bad leadership. So yeah, it did. <laughs> I did. And it actually, I did quit that job and it was very painful. I, and I always tell people, you know, if you're, if you don't respect your leadership that you work for and you don't trust them, uh-huh. then you probably should quit and go do something else. And uh, I know probably some of you who are listening are thinking, well, I wish I could, but I can't really quit. Yes. I need the job. You know, that's, and I feel bad for people that are stuck in that situation. But if it's possible, I would say leave and go do something else. And that's what I did. I finally said, you know, this person has killed my dreams, mm. but I'm not going to let it ruin my life. And it did turn out to be uh, the lemonade. <laughs> yeah. And it's funny you mentioned that because I too worked in a situation where majority of the people working there did not like the leadership. So they started quitting one by one. And I still hear news from my ex coworkers saying that, oh, the leadership is still as bad as it ever was. But I can't quit because I have insurance that this company is taking care of. You know, if I quit, what am I going to do? How? Soon can I get a job to start paying the bills and helping uh, 
put food on the table and taking care of my family. So it really is a big problem when you know that there is a problem and it can't be fixed and you just feel stuck and trapped not knowing what to do. Yeah, that's a tough place to be. So you now joined this organization and for 20 years you were the CEO. So what were some of the lessons you learned? Because Obviously, you said you are not the best leader, you're not an expert, but obviously, you were also in the trenches there. So, you learned something from your old job, and I do believe that you must have learned a lot of things if you spent 20 years as a CEO. That means people really liked you and liked what you were doing. So, what were some of the lessons you learned on the job as a leader of a large organization? Yeah, well, actually, that's what this new book is about. Uh, I did 10 chapters in this book, and it really is the greatest lessons I learned in those 20 years. Because I asked myself when I finished that, and I I resigned to go on to my leadership work, and now I'm the president of my own organization called HD Leaders. But uh, if you look at the contents of the book, it really is organized around the greatest lessons I learned. Mm-hmm. So maybe we'd like to dip into some of them. And let me just say I love top 10 lists. You probably figured yes, that out. I, I was going to say, what's with you <laughs> on the 10? <laughs> Number 10. And and so um, when I realized the word leadership had 10 letters in it, I got so excited. <laughs> and I said, wait a minute. This is the perfect outline for the book. Can I make this work? Can I use the 10 letters and use the acrostic? And for each of the letters in the word leadership, have a chapter? And yes, I did figure it out, and it does work. And so that's how the the 10 chapters are organized. And I, and I like to say this is, ba- you know, why another book on leadership? I think I have a lot of wisdom after those uh, 20 years as a CEO, as mm-hmm. well as coaching leaders and studying leadership. So that's kind of how I put this book together. Great. All right. So let's dive right into it. So we'll start with the uh, L, I guess. Yeah, the L in leadership. And You know, I always say the two most important words in a leader's vocabulary is listen and learn, and they both start with L. And so the L in leadership stands for listen and learn. Great leaders are leaders that listen. They don't just talk. You know, leaders love to talk, and (laughs) and, uh, they don't like to listen generally, but you need to listen because sometimes the greatest ideas for your business will come from your people. Especially if you're in sales or service and the people who are actually doing the selling or providing the service, you know, their feedback will make your company better. So a, great, a good listener will learn to, to listen well, take input, and also to learn. You know, we live in a dramatically changing world, right? Yep. I mean, and so whatever you're doing is going to become obsolete if you don't change. Mm -hmm. And the way you change is to be a lifelong learner. So I like to say, if you, if you stop learning today, you will stop leading tomorrow. Hmm. So listen and learn the two most important words in a leader's vocabulary. Yeah. And in that chapter, I made a note of something here because you said, I think it was one of the first things you said was that don't do what comes naturally. Now, most people would assume that if you are in a leadership position, that means you have enough experience and your experience has become second nature to you like muscle memory. So you should start operating on an instinctive basis. But you're saying that that shouldn't be the case. Why did you put it like that? Yeah, well, okay. First of all, just because you're the leader 
don't assume you're a great leader. Because okay. <laughs> I've, I've seen a lot of people in leadership that are completely incompetent. And don't you sometimes look at people who are the leader or the manager and you say, why in the world are they in that position? Yeah. They are not qualified. Yeah. <laughs> so the first thing I tell you is just because just you're in a leadership position doesn't mean you're a great leader. And I like to say if you do it comes naturally, you won't be a great leader because – Natu- First of all, you might have had a bad example. We mm. tend to lead as we were led, yeah. you know? And if you were led by a terrible boss in the past and you do what she did or he did, then you're going to be a bad boss. So, But I think naturally we are selfish people, right, Chi? Yeah. I mean, our, <laughs> we are naturally self-centered people. And self-centered leadership is not good leadership. That's why I say if you do what comes naturally, you won't be a a good leader because you have to learn to be a servant leader, which we Mm -hmm. can talk about a little bit later because the S in leadership stands for servant attitude. But that doesn't come natural. I think I had to learn – you know, I started off my career. I was pretty arrogant and I was pretty full of myself And it was all about me and my career. And I had some real painful experience, which I actually share in the last chapter where uh, my pride got in the way. So that's where I learned. I've learned the powerful lesson that good leadership is not about me. It's about we. Okay. And we. We, uh, you know, it's we together as a team. It's not just about me and my myself. That's that's great leadership. Mm. Now, I know you just mentioned uh, servant leadership not too long ago, and that's all the way down. But um, as you mentioned that, I thought of something here. So maybe we can skip to that now. And when people say servant leader, people think service. You know, you're at the service of whoever. Um, reaches out to you. Somebody sends you an email, you must respond right away. If somebody <laughs> yeah. asks you a question, you must do it. Everybody lines up to talk to you and get your advice. You must respond and you know give advice as people come. So that means you don't have time for yourself. So could you break down what it actually means to be a true servant leader? Yeah, I'm so glad you mentioned that because there's a lot of misunderstanding about what servant leader is and what it is not. And that's probably worth the price of my book to read that chapter mm-hmm. on the S and leadership for servant attitude because I talk in that chapter about what it is and what it is not. But yeah. I'll give you a quick summary. Okay, my definition of servant leadership is when the leader cares more about the good of the team than his or her own enrichment. Okay, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's my definition. The leader cares more about the good of the team than his or her own enrichment. To me, it's an attitude of value. Uh, For example, what is your favorite sport, Chi? Basketball. Okay, basketball. (laughs) All right, a basketball team will have a team captain, a team leader. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, you know, it takes the entire – that person alone can't make all the scores, can they, and win the game. Yeah. No, it's a team effort, and some people are specializing in offense, and some people specialize in defense. A servant leader knows that it takes every team player to win the game, Mm. and everybody is valuable. See, to me, servant leadership is an attitude, and I'm going to help our team win. So it's not just about my ego. It's about – Everybody else. Okay, now here's what servant leadership is not. It's not slave leadership. Mm. It's not It's not where you just work 24-7 for whatever anybody wants you to do, you do it. It's 
not where you have an open door. I was talking to a lady the other day and a attorney and I was on her podcast and she was saying, I have an open door policy and I can never get anything done because people are always in my office. <laughs> I'm mm-hmm. like, well, you know, well, that's not servant leadership. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, that's kind of like slave where you are, uh, working for everybody else 24 seven. That's, that's, you know, that's being a doormat that's being taken advantage of that. You're not supposed to just, be available all the time for whatever anybody wants from you. You have to set boundaries and you have to, and I actually talk in that chapter about as well as the, the A in leadership stands for accessibility. Mm -hmm. Maybe we can get to that next, but we have to be accessible, but we can't be um, 24 seven available. Mm -hmm. Okay. There's a, there's a difference. So that's to me, servant leadership is an attitude, an attitude of the heart that it's not about me, it's about we. Yeah, and you also mentioned in that chapter that it's more about being a shepherd and a guide as opposed to being um, a doormat at the service and at the pleasure, serving yes. at the pleasure of everyone. So Yeah, it was, It was. I was just going to say, it was Nelson Mandela, uh, I loved his leadership in South Africa, and he, he always said a, a, sh- a leader is like a shepherd who leads from behind. Mm. And he lets the strongest sheep go out ahead. And I thought, wow, that's a beautiful image of servant leadership. Mm. So that could mean, if we're to translate that into the business world, that a true leader lets his um, subordinates, you know, people under him, his managers, his directors, go on ahead and try to innovate and do things that are good and great for the firm. But he also makes sure that they do it in line with what is in the true objectives of the firm and the team without That's right. dominating and domineering them into filling his, uh, his whims. Yeah, you know, uh, insecure leaders don't want anybody else to get the limelight. Yes. And they don't want anybody else to get the credit. Yes. But uh, one of my favorite leaders in America was Ronald Reagan, President Reagan. And he had a sign on his desk that said, it's amazing what a man can accomplish if he doesn't care who gets the credit. Mm, <laughs> I love that. Because he... Because he was uh, a leader who surrounded himself with great leaders and allowed them to shine and to be in the spotlight and to get the job done. And he didn't care. And to me, that's great leadership. Yeah. So uh, I guess going off your discussion, we'll jump back to um, where were we? E? Yeah. A. The A A, leader. Okay. We don't we don't yeah, have to we don't especially. Have to. Yes. No, you can pick some of your favorites right. or that if you look at the list of chapters maybe pick some. But let me just mention accessibility yes, let's do that. and vulnerability because mm-hmm. years ago and and I don't in your country I, I've noticed I've spent a lot of time in, on the count, continent of Africa. I've spent a lot of time in Asia. And I know that in different cultures there are d- different power distances between yes. leaders and followers. Mm-hmm. And uh, but here in America, you know, you've studied here, you've lived here. Uh, the power distance has, especially with millennials, has shrunk to zero. Yes. <laughs> you know, and so sometimes older leaders who are trying to work with millennials feel that millennials don't respect them because they're in their face, yep. you know, yep. and they want to be right there with them. And it's really generational change where there's no longer any power distance 
existence. And today, to be an effective leader, you really do need to be accessible. You need to work shoulder to shoulder with your team, not hide away in some corner office or some executive floor and and they have no access to you. You know what I mean? Yeah. They absolutely, you have to be accessible and vulnerable. I talk in that chapter about vulnerability. Uh, I was um, talking to a baby boomer boss the other day and he said, you know, I'm real vulnerable with my team. And one of the millennials said to me the other day, how come you're always telling us uh, your, uh, your faults and what's, and what you don't do well. How come you're so vulnerable? Don't you think people will, uh, aren't you afraid people won't think you're a great leader? And he said, should I, should I be afraid of that? And she (laughs) said, she said, no, it's awesome. You're the first leader I've ever respected because you're vulnerable and you tell us you're not perfect. So, Accessibility and vulnerability really, really is what millennials love. They love that in their boss. Yeah. And also sticking on that point for a minute, I know that when it comes to dealing with intergenerational differences, part of the problem is the communication styles between boomers and millennials, for example. And that usually leads to a lot of problems that sometimes the leader might not know how to address. So how would you... Um, talk yes. about different communication styles, especially coming from the intergenerational angle. And yeah, I think that problems. I think boomer. You know, the older you are in your generation, the more formal you are in your uh, communication style, and the younger you are, the more informal. And for example, um, for the millennials, and I, we can't totally generalize because I feel like I have a. I'm, even though I'm a baby boomer, I have a lot of millennial characteristics, mm. and I have four children who are millennial, and I see a lot of baby boomer characteristics in them. So sometimes the generalizations break down, but but for the most part, they're true. The older you are, the more formal you are. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, email. I, I've I've heard it said only old people use email. <laughs> you know. <laughs> And so my kids, I, I communicate with all of them through texting pretty well. That's the way we communicate. And that's very informal, very quick, very spontaneous, uh, you know, whereas email is more formal and mm-hmm. takes longer. So I just think you have to realize that millennials like informal, rapid fire. I, I also uh, I help my wife and her company. She's in sales in direct sales, and they use an app called Voxer. I don't know if you've ever heard of Voxer. No, I haven't. It's kind of, it's really cool. It's kind of like verbal text messaging where it's all audio messages, but you can have groups, and it's free too. It's it's a great little app, Voxer. Yeah. And and I, and it's the primary method in which her entire team communicates with each other. It's quicker than texting because you don't have to type. It's just it's almost like verbal texting, okay. but you can create you create little chat groups, Voxer groups, and you can have a discussion. But you're not talking in real time. You're just leaving each other messages. Mm-hmm. So to me, that's a great example of a of a way to communicate with millennials. And and I'm working with a millennial guy that and he and I are writing a new book together. And we, we basically are communicating through Voxer where we constantly leave each other messages. Great. So and, that's some ideas. Yeah. And, um, moving off that to, 
another one i think my favorite part was determination because leadership is also about trying and failing and then most leaders when they fail at something they kind of lose heart and they don't follow through and that kind of spirals down and goes across to the entire team like when you don't see your leader being the, the leader and being forceful and type a it kind of affects morale so how important is determination to the success of an organization well the determination is everything it's sticking with it, it, it and i have a lot of illustrations in in that chapter yeah, about people uh and I, one of my favorites again is uh, nelson mandela who uh, there's two numbers in his life that are important 27 and 72 it's interesting those two numbers flipped back and forth he spent 27 years in prison and he was 72 when he got out and saved the country from ruin mm. and i thought wow there's a great example of somebody he knew all those years that he was in prison he was determined that he was going to get out and that he was going to make a difference. And they say he always treated his uh, jail guards with great respect and dignity. You know, he didn't become bitter through mm -hmm. failure. So, so you have to learn to become better through failure, not bitter through failure. And determination is just so important. And I think for the millennials, sometimes they don't want to pay the price I like to say we have to take the stairs. Don't don't look for an escalator to success. Mm. <laughs> you you got to take the stairs. Yeah, and, they, and you, right. And that is prevalent today. Everybody wants the shortcut to success. You know, just want to release an app that's going to turn me to a billionaire overnight. That's 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 the prevailing yeah. mentality. Right. Yeah. Uh, right. They want to get rich quick. And, mm. and my wife in her direct sales business, we run into people like that that join her team and they want to get rich quick. They want to make a lot of money fast. And we say, you know, you can get rich slowly, but you're going to have to take the stairs and you're going to have to do the work. And uh, that's what determination is all about. If you do the work and you're faithful and consistent, I believe you will be successful. But a lot of people will quit and they'll say, mm -hmm. after a few months, I'm not making enough money. I'm going to go find something where I can get rich quick. Not There's not many things. There's a few people out there like the Mark Zuckerbergs of the world <laughs> or the Bill Gates of the world. But those are few and far between. Yeah. And also part of the book, uh, in that chapter, you also mentioned the different things or the different factors that can cause you to be discouraged. And you also said that regardless of that, that you know it shouldn't um, stop you in your journey. It almost reminds me of um, the passage where Paul said, um, what will separate us from the love of God? And he called all kinds of problems that can come in your way. And he said, you know what, despite all this, you know, that shouldn't let you be discouraged or stop you in your journey to success. Yeah, he, Paul is a great example. I mean, his passage where he talked about how many times he was shipwrecked and mm -hmm. stoned and left for dead. And yeah, he, he faced a tremendous deal of opposition, as well as Moses, who I use in this chapter as another one of my favorite illustrations. I don't think anybody had a more difficult leadership assignment than Moses mm, yeah. and, and who had a worse set of followers, but he, he did not quit. He's a great example of determination. Yeah. And so out of the remaining factors that we haven't covered, could you talk about your favorite one and why that is also meaningful to? Sure. Yeah. Uh, 
I would say the H stands for hands-off delegation, the okay. H. In, and I think delegation is such an important uh, skill for good leadership, how to delegate well. And when I talk to people who work for terrible bosses, <laughs> often they say they don't know how to delegate. Yeah. And now good delegation means you give somebody a responsibility and you give them the authority to do the job mm -hmm. and you let them do it. Here's the, I, I talk in this chapter about the four questions every follower asks. What am I supposed to do? Will you let me do it? Will you help me when I need it? And will you tell me how I'm doing? Mm -hmm. See, that's great delegation. If you can answer those four questions for the followers, the first one, what am I supposed to do? That's just about being clear on your expectations of what you want. Uh, will you let me do it? That's, that's so full of meaning there because they want to know, are you going to give me the freedom or are you going to micromanage me and you're going to look over my shoulder every minute? You know, yeah. are, are you really giving me the authority here with the responsibility? And then will you let me know how I'm doing? No, will you help me when I need it? And that's about now good delegation is not out of sight, out of mind. You, need, you do need to be available along the way with checkpoints. I, I tell the story in this chapter about a, a fellow who was given an assignment and worked on it for six weeks and then came back to the boss and gave the boss's 50-page report and the boss didn't respond. It was in his inbox. And several weeks later, uh, they, um, the, uh, my, my friend asked the boss, well, what would you think about my report? And the boss said, ah, we decided to do something else. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so both the boss and the follower were at fault because mm -hmm. there were no checkpoints along the way. Yeah. You shouldn't just go off and, you know, because you may get way off base. And now the boss wasn't fair because he didn't really tell this person, you know what, I'm not really giving you the authority. I just want your opinion. Mm -hmm. <laughs> So good delegation is so important. I have some tremendous training in that chapter on how to be a good delegator. Yeah, and I think this is crucial because a lot of entrepreneurs find it extremely difficult to delegate because they feel, you know, if I started a company, I have to be responsible for every single moving piece for this thing to actually work well. Not, That's right. Not realizing that if you focus, yes, you started a company, but you should focus more on your strengths and you might be strong in marketing or finance and you need to hire people that they might not do it as well as you do but guess what they'll do it to their best of their ability and it will free you up to do higher level strategic thinking that will move your organization forward yeah exactly like that founder's trap we talked about yeah. at the beginning of the show because you have to shift after you've started your company from doing the actual work that started the company you have to shift to leading the team, and that's very different work. And I found, Chi, that the, the smarter you are and the more talented you are and the more you do things well, the harder it is to delegate. Yeah. But, but you have to delegate if you're going to grow your company. Yeah. And if you try to control everything and do everything, you're going to be a workaholic that is not pleasant to work for. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. So let's switch gears a little bit. We've talked about the top 10 ways to be a great leader, and I'll link to the book in the show notes so that people can check it out on our Amazon. But let's move to the other side of the coin, the top 10 mistakes leaders make. Let's, let's, could you run through that real quick and 
maybe tell us the top three or the top fours. Then if yeah, oh, want, sure. If yeah. people want to know the remaining, of course, they can join you. Yeah, they have Hanger. to get the book. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and that book is available, by the way, an audio book. Uh, I recorded that myself. And I'm just now in the process of recording this this top 10 ways to be a great leader in the audio book oh, cool. uh, format. But the top 10 mistakes is available in audio book, which I, I know a lot of people love to listen to audio books yeah. while they're um, – Driving. Yes. But, uh, okay, I already mentioned the top mistake that leaders make is what I call the top-down attitude. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the other mistakes is um, dictatorship and decision-making, which I kind of referred to a moment ago. That's where you want to make all the decisions yourself. And that's, again, the problems of founders is that they – as the company grows, they don't want to relinquish the authority to make all the decisions, but they need to. You need to push decision-making downstream as far as you can and let others make important decisions. By the way, Chi, I think one of the most important jobs of a leader is to develop leaders. Mm, you know, And the way you develop leaders is you mentor them by giving them responsibility and giving them authority and allowing them some room to grow. So another, uh, let's see, another mistake that leaders make is um, failure to focus on the future. Mm -hmm. You know, we leaders have to be thinking about the future. We have to have one eye on the present, what's going on, but one eye on the future, what's coming next. Yeah, and And create a succession plans to to transition and and off. And and you may be very successful today in your company, but the industry, all industries are changing yeah. because the Internet is a game changer and it's and the pace and rapid fire of change is just accelerating. And so, you know, it's you see companies all the time that were so successful 10 years ago and now they're struggling or they're closing their doors because they they miss the paradigm shifts. And so you have to focus on the future. Another mistake leaders make is uh, no room for mavericks. Now, I don't know. You know what a maverick is? Yes. A maverick A maverick is um, actually that word comes from a guy by the name of Samuel Maverick in Texas back in the 1800s. He refused to brand his cattle with a branding iron. Instead, he you know, put the tag on the ear. And today and here in America, all the cattles are tagged with the ear. Not they're not branded anymore. Mm. He thought that was he uh, he thought that was cruel and unusual punishment yeah. for the cows. Well, brand, that meant he did not go along with the norm. He did not go along with the crowd. And that's a maverick. It's an entrepreneur. It's a visionary. It's somebody who thinks outside the box, who's very creative. And a lot of companies kill mavericks. They don't like the creative types. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and they give them all the excuses. You know, we don't do things like that around here. Or who gave you permission to change the rules? Or you know, we've never done it that way. All these I you call have, it. You haven't le- been here long enough to get that. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I have I in that chapter in my book that I call it the eleven commandments of organizational paralysis. And it's yeah, we don't do things like that around here. Or you haven't been around long enough, or you know it's not going to work anyway. So uh, th- those are some of the the common mistakes. Uh, absence of affirmation is another one mm. where you don't affirm your. You know, people love. You remember the last question every follower asks: Will you let me know how I'm doing? Mm-hmm. 
One of the signs of a miserable job is I have never get any feedback from the boss about how I'm doing. Am I doing good? Am I doing terrible? Do I even exist? Mm. You know, they treat, they, and people, I, I practiced uh, what I call MBW, management by wandering around, actually MBWA, and management by wandering around. And I realized my people wanted to have contact with me. And I'm, we had a big office with lots of people working there, and I had a corner office where I was kind of isolated. And I realized, you know, twice a day I would just wander the halls and talk to people in their cubicles and see how they're doing. And they love it. Mm. People love to be affirmed, you know. Yeah. So those are some of the mistakes that leaders make. And I found that in affirmation, people also know when it's insincere. But you're like some some bad so leaders true. would say, "Oh, you're doing a great job," but you know they don't mean it, and it's not coming from the heart. And I've actually experienced so that true working. And Have you? That, yeah. that hurts even more than not saying anything, being insincere with your praise. Yeah, that's that's worse than saying nothing. You're absolutely right. So as we transition towards wrapping up questions, I have some few questions for you just in terms of uh, giving advice to people that are struggling with making the next decision in their life. So what was the most frustrating thing about being a leader or being an entrepreneur when you left the corporate organization to start your own business? Well, to me, the biggest fear was financial. And I think a lot of people can relate to that, you know, and that's why I tell people work on your plan B while you still have your plan A, you know, work, you know, build your new business while you still have a job and some income. And that's what I was doing. But eventually I knew I needed, I cared so much about my new business and I lost the passion for my corporate job. But I was so afraid of the finances, you know, because I was starting my own company. And so I think your biggest fear is money. And we have we have a nice home. I didn't want to lose our home. I was afraid we were going to lose our home, have to sell it, you know, because we wouldn't have enough money to pay the mortgage. And um, I didn't I just didn't know how we would survive. But I finally just made the decision to go and to jump off the diving board, as I like to say, yeah. into the, into the swimming pool. And, and you know, either I was going to hit water or I was going to hit concrete. <laughs> and thankfully I hit water and, and it all worked out fine. And we have not lost our home. You know, that was five years ago and, yeah. and everything's fine. But I think people worry, I worry about money and will, will I make enough money to survive and thrive? Uh-huh. And that's, uh, that was my biggest challenge was, getting over that fear of finances yeah and i remember reading or listening to one of the interviews you did somewhere where you said in as much as when you started out you didn't have the corner office anymore you were working from starbucks and your income took an 80 percent hit you were still happy you were still willing to put in the right. work and grow the business just because you knew that a you would be okay if you put all your heart and soul and it wasn't just because you thought you could leave it, somebody had to have the courage to advise you to either go 100% all in on the business or go 100% all out and go do something yes. else. Yeah, and that's why I say you got to follow your heart. Yeah. And and I was just 
to a place where I wasn't happy at all. Mm -hmm. I had no more passion for what I did because we change as the years go on. And and that's the way I feel now. I, I do what I love and I love what I do. And I don't make as much money as I used to, but I don't care because I do what I love and I love what I do. And I spend time with people that fuel me, like you and me having this conversation. I enjoy this so much. If I still had that old job, we wouldn't be talking because I'd be too busy, you know, in meetings and budgets and (laughs) firing people and conflict resolution and (laughs) fundraising, you know, all the stuff I grew to just not not like it all. <laughs> yeah. And one of the things you mentioned in the book was um, a good leader has to be someone that, you know, learns constantly and grows. So what are some of the best books, tapes, podcasts, uh, messages, or programs you've consumed in the past that have helped you become a good leader while you are running your organization and still helps you run and build your business to this very day? I'd say two of my favorite authors are, um, well, three, uh, Jim Collins, who wrote, you know, Built to Last and Good to Great. Yeah. Both of those books, Jim Collins, are just phenomenal. And, and Jim Collins, in Good to Great, talking about great companies, he talks about the power of humility. Remember the P, the last chapter in my book. The P stands for the power of humility. And he Mm -hmm. says, even in corporate America, the great companies are led by humble leaders. And to me, that's just great uh, affirmation that I'm on the right track when I talk about the power of humility. So I also love Patrick Lencioni. Are you familiar with him? No. Patrick Lencioni, L-E-N-C-I-O-N-I. Patrick Lencioni has written a, a lot of books, but, uh, my favorite, most helpful book of his is called The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. And he really gets it to the heart of why a lot of teams don't work well together. The Five Dysfunctions of a Team by okay. Patrick Lencioni. I I've, I've heard the name of that book in the past, but yeah. I, I didn't know who wrote it. And, and he's all about healthy organizations and healthy leadership teams. And then finally, Michael Hyatt. You probably have heard of Michael yes. Hyatt. <laughs> and his his book, Platform, is what I basically use to help build my new business. Mm. He, he kind of goes through the steps. If, if you want to create an online platform, an online presence, how to go about doing it. So I love that book, Platform by Michael Hyatt. And, of course, I listen to a lot of his podcasts, too. Yeah. You, can, uh, you probably have, too. And, and they're very helpful, helpful. They're geared toward the entrepreneurs who are trying to build their own business. Yeah. And speaking of podcasts, you used to run your podcast for about two years plus before you shut that down. And I consumed it before uh, interviewing you. So what were your experiences like, you know, interviewing people in the leadership space and providing valuable um, teachings and words of wisdom as a podcaster before you decided you wanted to um, focus on another side, which is providing video content as opposed to just audio? Yeah, well, uh, I do. I have seventy-five podcasts on my website, hansstenzel.com, and I'm very, and they're also on iTunes. I'm very proud of those seventy-five podcasts, and only about ten are interviews. The rest, I just do teaching on leadership, and they're all about a half hour long. So, if you're interested in those podcasts, you can go to my website, hansstenzel.com, and you can see the directory of the podcasts. And if there's a topic that interests you, 
you can listen to that podcast. But after 75 shows, I, I felt like I had <laughs> said everything I had to say, <laughs> and I wanted to focus more on video content and writing books. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm, I just felt, you know, I had a wonderful time doing those podcasts, but yeah. I sort of felt like I had said enough. Yeah, and I enjoyed the one you had with your friend. I want to say his name is Mike, or is it Mick? Ooh. Mick Euclea. Yeah, that's right. Yes. About emotional intelligence. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, EQ. Great. Yeah, and the E uh, the E in leadership stands for emotional intelligence. Yeah. And that chapter, the second chapter in my new book, is also worth the price of the book because a lot of people don't know what emotional intelligence is, and it's much more important than IQ, how smart you are. Mm. And um, so for the listeners out, I think this is second to the last question. If you were to go back in time, what would you do differently knowing what you know now? I would have launched out on my own sooner. I waited five years to get the courage to do it. And, uh, (laughs) I would have done it sooner. Mm. If you feel you're called to do something, I would say, go out and do it. Don't, don't put it off. I I knew I needed to, but I, I, I hesitated. I would have been five years younger. (laughs) And and so that's probably the one thing I would do different. And the last question of the evening is for people undecided, you know, with what to do next. They're in a transitionary phase of their life. What would you advise those people to, to do or to think about? I would advise them to think about this little saying that I have, do what you love, love what you do. Because five years ago, when I finally left my career, which I did love at one point, but then after 20 years, I didn't love it. You know, I I realized one day when I saw that slogan, I thought, you know, I'm not doing what I love, and I don't really love what I do. I need to make a change. So that would be my advice. Think about that. Are you doing what you love? And are you loving what you're doing? If not, I would encourage you to go on the road to change that. And with that said, my friend, we've reached the end of the show. I really want to thank you for coming to share your words of wisdom. So where can people learn more about you and the awesome things you're doing? <laughs> well, you go to my website, hansfinzel.com, H-A-N-S. F as in Frank, I-N-Z like zebra, E-L, hanspinzel.com. And my book, uh, Top Ten Ways to Be a Great Leader, of course, is available wherever books are sold online. Wherever your listeners buy books, they can find my books. And um, are you active on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn? Yes, I am. I am on all of the above. And and my handles are all basically my name, Hans Finzel. Great. Okay. And my YouTube channel, if you want to watch some of those videos, is youtube.com slash Hans Finzel, and you'll find my channel where I have lots of short videos that you can watch all about all topics leadership. Great. And I think for me personally, because I'm trying to get into videos, but I kind of prefer not being in front of the camera because I'm a bit shy. So how did you get the courage to start doing videos as prolifically as you're doing and what steps uh, should i take personally <laughs> this is just for me not for anyone else 
Well, I had a professional help me uh, actually do the filming, and that that helped because uh, mm-hmm. you'll you'll notice they're quite professional. And, yeah. and but I I found that YouTube is king, and that uh, again, Michael Hyatt is the one who says you know people are a lot more into video than they are into podcast yeah. audio. Uh, and so I realized video is just YouTube is just king, you know, yeah. and it's just so dominant out there. So I felt that a lot of people want to watch videos mm. of what of what you're teaching. That's why I expanded out into videos. Great. So, my friend, thanks for coming on the call. I really appreciate you coming to spend the time and share your words of wisdom And we look forward to communicating with you and learning more about the things you're doing and how you're helping companies and leaders become better people and more effective in their organizations. Thanks, Chi. Great to be on the program with you. Getting your team up to date on the latest skills required for success is hard work, but you don't have to worry about it anymore. Jolt is an online training platform that helps professionals and organizations access up-to-date training from practitioners at the top of their game. No more watching e-learning videos that are not interactive and may contain obsolete information where you access them. Each Jolt training is done live via interactive Skype or webinar, and the trainers are both practitioners and thought leaders in their field. So you get the latest information that can change your business at the right time. Visit jolt.us and find out how you can start getting the right training for your team today. That's www.jolt.us. Tell them she sent you.